back to Eve Reloaded. My name is Chenyu Bakarich. And I'm Becky Louie. Hey, Becky. Do you hear what I hear? (laughs) (laughs) I think I do because we're in the same room. (laughs) It is the Christmas season, which is a pretty big deal for Christians because the birth of Jesus and the birth of Christ is very important to us. One thing that I love about Christmas is Christmas carols. I'm a big fan. Are you a caroler? I fluctuate. I am. I have updated my Spotify playlist to find the best versions of like all the carols. So I'm really enjoying introducing my kids to carols. But I think at one point I worked in retail, <laughs> and so did Phil. So it was uh, was too much. But I think I'm far enough away from that, and I save it for December. So December first, I'm like. Christmas playlist. So, yes, I like carols. We have that rule in our house as well. Because if it wasn't there, I would play carols all year round. And Zane <laughs> is not a fan. So he's like, from December 1, 24 hours a day. <laughs> and zero hours for the rest of the year. Um, setting aside my love for carols, I came across an article by ABC journalist Virginia Trioli about what she calls the Christmas paradox. Mm-hmm. She writes... We are all, to some extent, tolerating, surviving, and then replanning the same kind of unsatisfying, complex, or dysfunctional Christmas over and over. I think there are a lot of our listeners who would relate to this. In the Eve Reloaded Facebook group, I asked people to say what they found stressful at Christmas time, and we got heaps of responses. People saying everything from family, gifts, uh, the rush around on Christmas Day. Planning for Christmas can be like um, mental load on steroids, and mm. which is another big topic that's come up a few times in the Facebook group that seems to resonate with a lot of people who listen to us. Is there anything the Bible can speak to in this? Well, I think there's a lot. Um, I think that article, she was so insightful and so poignant in really catching, um, capturing like Christmas's joy, excitement and pleasure, but also dread anxiety angst like we've just listed that and like I was reading that going well that that's so me sometimes I'm like woohoo Christmas I'm Christian I love Christmas <laughs> but uh, um it's interesting though because after she does the paradox her solutions are be okay with it uh focus on what you have and be glad it's not worse like Princess Diana uh spend less time on social media get your online shopping orders in before it's too late to get delivered and here are some song recommendations like Mm. that is how she resolves it which you know basically she's saying there's not much of a resolution to that but as you said christians we should have a better answer and i think we do um you know when we say jesus is the reason for the season like that's just a tagline but like we just need to really unpack that which is remember why he came and i think that puts things into perspective like It is because of sin and all of the brokenness that we see is because we reject God and his rule over our lives and we make up our own rules and hurt one another. And that's why some Christmases are really hard because of those broken relationships, because of all the hurt and pain in our lives. And because of this messiness, you know, God stepped down into his messy creation and fixed it because like when we're trying to fix it we can't fix it and that's the wonder of Christmas God has come to fix it and he came to be with us and show us himself like it's like the the incarnation of God coming into our world as Jesus is so deep and mind-blowing you know one thing I've been thinking about Christmas it's so weird when non-Christians sing 
Christian songs. Mm. Like they're, they're singing, Christ the Savior is born, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And I'm sitting there going, do you, are you listening to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> do you even know this Jesus that you're singing about? And like, because I, I don't, no one sings, I don't know, Hindu worship songs or Buddhist worship songs or Islamic worship songs because they're not about joy. Like Christmas is joyful because for Christians, like that joy is actually a Christian discipline. Mm, and it's the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. Um, I think a lot of other religions actually value other disciplines more highly. Like, you know, Buddhism is about being calm and detached and not so rowdy like the Christians. Like, <laughs> and is I think some Muslims have said, you know, you have to be more serious, mm. <laughs> you know, like they, they value God's holiness and we do too, but the, this joy of relationship that is very, a very Christian thing. So, you know, the gospel is a cause for celebration every every day of the year. Um, but then I guess the question is, so why should Christmas be special then? <laughs> why, why should we make so much of a deal if, you know, we're Christian already, we can celebrate the gospel every day? Um, and I think that's a good question to ask. So this is something I've been thinking about recently. Uh, you know, Easter, like sometimes like, oh, you know, Easter's the main thing because that's Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's what it's all about. And, you know, that's secondary to Christmas. You know, Christmas points forward to Easter, which is true. But I, I gave you a teaser of something new that I learned about Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, Christians in the past have often celebrated Advent in the lead up. So, you know, Advent is not just about, oh, 24 pieces of candy from a frozen calendar or a Lightning McQueen calendar. Um, but the word Advent means Adventus from the Latin word, which means coming. So in the Greek word, in the Greek New Testament's parousia, which is not just his first coming, but his second coming. So I think, you know, it, it's right for us to focus on his first coming. Like that is baby in a manger. That is God steps out into the world. That's pretty amazing. But we live in this time after his first coming that we're looking forward to his second coming. So in Acts 1.11, um, when he goes into heaven and all the disciples are like standing and looking around, the angels are like, this Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven, he'll come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They're like, why are you looking at this guy? He's about to come again. Go get busy. And Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says, just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, Christ was sacrificed once and he will appear a second time. So um, the whole of the Old Testament is leading up to the first Christmas, you know, from Genesis 3, 15, the, the offspring that is going to crush the snake. Then you have the one Samuel 7, the forever king. And so when Jesus finally comes, the New Testament's like, wow, shepherds singing. But we have... We live in this really special time of we're also waiting, but it's a different waiting because he has come and he will come again. I think um, Virginia, Virginia, right? Virginia Shirley, yes. Yeah. So she's like, there's all this expectation and you're just waiting for something. And then it kind of comes like Christmas. So she goes, Christmas is a time of expectation, but it kind of fails. Yeah. And so if you're just looking forward to, turkey is gonna fulfill my life it it kind of and and having family like that is different from our expectation which is the heavenly banquet eternity um becoming face to face with god where he will wipe away every tear and of 
all that brokenness and hurt and or you know death is gone so you know it's christmas is hard when you think of the people that should be there and aren't there Mm. or you you think about people who are there but things are not right with them but so we are waiting for everything to be put right and so if you are like oh christmas is coming where everything is going to be put right you look forward to it and so christmas points i guess our christmas points us forward to yeah there's a time when everything will be put right this is a good time to practice expectation one of the stresses that people mentioned was the obligation around families i know some of my girlfriends need to visit four sets of parents and grandparents it's a massive runaround it's not uncommon to be doing immediate family then breakfast then church then extended family then the partner's family all in one day all in different locations from a biblical perspective are we obliged to visit all the family members? Ooh, that is a tricky one. <laughs> and I think it's just, it's emotionally loaded. I think your family of origin, that can be loaded, but once you get married and then you've got multiple families or even in, you know, families can be so messy these days and it's not just logistics, it's emotional. It's, mm. are you, do you matter more? Do they matter more? Who matters more? <laughs> do you love me? Basically, everyone's saying, do you love me? It can be like that, might not be. I think the Bible says the um, the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. So there is something about honoring our parents and our grandparents. Um, 1 Timothy 5, 8 says anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ooh. So, yeah. So I think scripture does point us there are certain, uh, there's a certain rightness to honoring and providing for those in our family. But what that looks like freedom <laughs> or like it, wisdom well, proverbs fourteen fifteen says the prudent gives thought to their steps so you know if you're hoping for some quick easy solution i don't have one but there are some principles there yeah and i think but it's helpful to recognize that honoring doesn't mean giving everyone everything that they want the one that we honor first and foremost is the lord because sometimes it can be unrealistic you can't please everybody but you can attempt to honor them and communicate that to them you know it's it's more important to fear the lord (laughs) but what he wants is for you to honor your parents how do you work that out it's tricky if you have a tricky family situation and have thought about ways to work it through at Christmas time, we'd love to hear your experiences. Please do share how you've been uh, navigating these choppy waters by emailing us. That's at evereloadedpodcast at gmail.com or jumping into the Facebook group, which is also called Eve Reloaded Podcast. So the flip side of the busy runaround is that there are some people, well, many listeners of ours, who don't have heaps of obligations on Christmas, during Christmas time. They don't really have anywhere to go on Christmas Day. They don't really have anyone to see. What does the Bible have to say to them? Uh, The Bible has a lot to say, which is you have Christ. You have your church family. Yeah, and I, I think it's hard to, I'd say the onus is really on like looking around who else is lonely, um, who else think of their circumstances, what are they doing? Christmas is a great time to open people into our houses. Sometimes we can idolize that perfect 
family only and it has to be this way but it's not it's messy so Christmas is a great time to really be wary of those in our church family who might have nowhere to no one to be from Christmas they might be missing family members they might be overseas students stranded or um, or even like if it's a single mom with kids or something like they might just be a few of them and so doing a combined Christmas um, and that's hard like you kind of have to give up your our family only Christmas to include others um, but if yeah if you're just by yourself you go well who's going to include me well you look around and see who else needs to be included as well like um, yeah all right I've got a hairy one for you now <laughs> When this popped up in my social media feed, someone said this was the most controversial topic to a Christian. Do you think Christians should boycott Santa? Um, so the Bible does not specifically say, thou shalt not do Santa. Um, for me, I treat it in a similar category of doing the three little pigs with my kids. It's not a true story, but it's kind of fun. Like, little pig, little pig, let me in. Like, you know, it's, it's a fun, untrue story. And I think kids are able to grasp that. But 1 Corinthians 10, 23, 23 says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not all things are helpful. So I think there is freedom in this. And like, I don't think it's completely terrible. So my, my children know about Santa. <laughs> I put it in that category. Um the reason why I think many Christians do feel strongly about it is because there's such similarities with Jesus. So if you think about it, about Santa, there's a moral standard. Are you naughty or nice? You know, there's a judgment day that is coming, Christmas Day, and there will be rewards given according to how you have done in your life. And there's a but there's some similarities with Jesus. Like God has decreed his commandments about how we should live. Um, Jesus has a book of life rather than a list. And he, I don't think he needs to check it twice. Like I think he just knows. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there is a day of judgment that is coming. And it will be eternal life or eternal death, not a piece of cold or a cool toy. So there's all these comparisons, but there's some problems with Santa. Like there, there's kind of, there's no justice. There's no real judgment because even the naughtiest kid, usually they, everyone gets a present. So this whole judgment thing, it, it kind of minimizes sin. Like there's, there's no real consequences. You know, there's a bit of injustice. You know, the rewards you get are probably more about your family socioeconomics, about, about what you've actually done. Mm. And it also... It encourages a mercenary attitude towards good behavior. Mm. Like you're acting nice to get the goods. You know, I don't know if you've seen the Veranda Santa. I have seen this, yes. I was watching that. And I'm like, that. Preach. Yeah, that is it. And, and we all, we know it's wrong. Even Bluey kind of, that episode kind of explores how, no, you shouldn't just be doing nice things to, to get stuff. But the resolution is, you know, just do the right thing because it's, uh, just the right thing to do, like have compassion, like see that your cousin is sad. And th- there's this kind of wider implication because there's the happy music. It's like when we act like this, the world is a better place. So that's where they end up going, don't be mercenary. Uh, just do it because it makes the world better. And it kind of, it's, it's typical Western Judeo-Christian heritage of wanting the kingdom values, Christian values, but without the king. 
So compassion and like for Christians, compassion and kindness is good because God decrees it to be good. Uh, and it's in line with his character. Just assuming that it's the best way, like this is in conflict with other things, like other ideologies, like Darwinism, survival of the fittest. That's not what you do. You just be mean. Like <laughs> if someone bites you, yeah, you be mean back. Mm. <laughs> um, or utilitarian, utilitarian, like, you know, God's way is the best and they work out best in society because he made it. Yeah, it, it just dis- it makes it these impersonal rules, but we keep them because we're in relationship with the God who saved us. And we're not trying to earn anything because we already have it. So it's completely, it's opposite. It's opposite when you're trying to act good to get something, whereas like we already have it. So actually we're transformed from the outside, from the inside out, and we're being like the God who loves us and wanting to please him. So I, I think, yeah, being Christian resolves that. Yeah, so I, I think two resources, if you want to think about it. There's Just Nick, which is a book that tells the story of the original St. Nicholas, who was a guy who just gave money away to people who needed it. So you can go, you know, this is where the story comes from. You anchor that in kind of history, like Santa is a real story from a person. And the other one I like is um, When Santa Heard the Gospel. So that deals with it in my kind of you know, Santa is a made up story. And if that made up story person were to hear the gospel, what would that be like? And I like it because it's just got good rhymes and it explores the gospel. And it does, it does basically make those comparisons that I just made between Jesus and Santa. So, you know, if you're thinking about how to do Santa with your kids, those, and that one's by Simon Camilleri, I think we should think about what are the priorities when we're doing Santa? What do we want Christmas to be like if an alien came to our society and they looked around, what would they think Christmas is about? Is it about Santa? Is it about Jesus? Is it about winter? Cause some of the cards seem to say Christmas is about celebrating winter. So my eldest asked me, is it going to snow on Christmas? <laughs> because you know, Christmas is about snowmen and reindeer and snowballs. It can, there can be fun things. Like I want Christmas to be fun. And so, you know, if you want to do Santa in a fun way, because it's like goes next to putting up the tree and singing carols and things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just stop and be intentional and go, what, what do I want Christmas to be like? What do I want to teach my kids? So if you're a person and you've decided in your family that you're not going to do Santa because after you've gone through this uh, thing about it, about thinking about Christmas intentionally, you've decided that's not the way you want to go. What do you do if your parents or, you know, brother-in-law or whoever doesn't respect that choice you've made? Yeah, that's hard. So I think that comes back to the wanting to honour and speak kindly to your family but you also sometimes can't please everyone. And it might be, you know, you want to dress up like Santa, but they, my kids know that you'll be dressing up as Santa and it's you. <laughs> but you can dress up as Santa if you really want to say ho, ho, ho and do that. Or, yeah, it's coming to that compromise. Um, you know, I think a key verse over this season is from Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So a lot of these tensions are around communicating and communicating expectations. One thing about thinking intentionally about Christmas is that 
especially for women, it can actually take a lot of effort and work to make Christmas special for your family. It's that thing about another um, huge mental domestic load that gets attached to Christmas celebrations. Can you speak into that a bit? Yeah, well, I think as we're talking uh, last podcast about rest and about for the Israelites, those rest things were like feast celebrations, like seven day feasts. That's Christmas on steroids, I guess, unless you do 12 days of Christmas, but most of us just do one day or two days. The the thing that I said there was, you know, the day before Sabbath is called preparation day where you need to do extra work so that you can have that day of rest. And likewise with any celebration or festival. So I think, yeah, we can't shy away from if we want to make Christmas special, it's going to take work. And the question is, do we want to make Christmas special? That That is a good question. But what effort do we put in other years in, to birthdays and anniversaries and you know, the Bible doesn't say you have to celebrate Jesus' birthday. I mean, if you're like a prisoner and you're stuck somewhere or you can't like it or you're stuck in a third world country and or you're, you know, if there's some reason you can't celebrate Christmas, doesn't make you a substandard Christian. But I think celebrating Christmas is a good thing, but you don't necessarily have to go crazy. But I don't think you can shy away from the fact that making it special does require effort. The other thing with... The way that we do Christmas in Australia is our academic year also ends in December. Like, so it's also end of end of year time. So it's also thank you time. So something I've been pondering is like, would I prefer it to be separate or kind of because it's like everything is at this time. It's the end of year. It's the end of the academic year. So if you have kids in school, then you've got their teachers and their Sunday schools and you're kind of. It's not just, yeah, it's Christmas, it's it's the end of the year, it's thank yous. And that's also extra work. So I'm like, I need to bake cookies. I'm probably going to bake cookies after this for my firstborn's kindy teacher. <laughs> um, but I think we can see it as, oh, it's this load. But we can also see it as this opportunity to love, which requires work. It normally requires work to love people, but it's an opportunity to do a good work of loving people. Um, Proverbs 16:24 says, "Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body." Like there's this opportunity to stop and say thank you to people in our lives. I don't know. I mean, I find Christmas season overwhelming because I see, oh, this is a great time for me to express thankfulness to all these people, and I want to write cards to everyone, I want to get presents for everyone, and I want to tell everyone about Jesus. And I also can't, so I'm not. I don't want to put this make the pressure bigger (laughs) and saying there's a goodness you also can't do everything um the key thing about christmas is remembering who you're pleasing there's only one i guess one of the issues is when you're approaching all of this as just a big laundry list or you're thinking of getting thank thank you gifts for your kids teachers but there's no thankfulness in your heart because it's just a stressful act that you've got to get through is there a way to t- turn that around in your brain or is that just life get on with it <laughs> yeah i think it's complicated i mean some people say well you know don't do it if you're going to do it with bitterness in your heart like you know god loves a cheerful giver so you know you give as much as you're actually cheerful to give like it's like mm, thank you here's these cookies I had to cook and they're like I don't that's okay you didn't have to like there's there's like being a resentful giver is not great um but on the other hand sometimes going 
I might not be feeling it, but I want to do it. Like, I think sometimes we put so much emphasis on our psychological state. And we're like, what do, What does my heart feel? Sometimes it's kind of like, I'm just going to do the right thing and my, my feelings will follow. So there's, but then there's also just, uh, maybe you don't need to bake cookies for everyone. Like maybe there are easier, wiser ways. I think it's stop and give thought to your ways. What's doable? What do you want to do? Are you thankful? Like sometimes you're writing thank you cards, but you haven't stopped to actually be thankful. Maybe if you stopped and you went, am I thankful? And then you went, I actually am thankful. Now I want to write it. But it, it's, it's big. It's big. But I, I think sometimes we just need to encourage each other and not moan about it. I think there's a bit of a culture that, yeah, that I'm fighting because I, I keep on hearing it and sometimes it can make me feel resentful or bitter about it. So hearing, preaching to yourself, oh, I, I want to be loving. I want to take this. Or sometimes it's preaching comfort, like you can't do everything. It's okay. Figure out what you need to preach to yourself, um, what is wise and what is good and what is true and, and preach that. And maybe social media is not helpful. Mm, yeah it's like uh 25 story gingerbread houses for every kindergarten teacher <laughs> probably not helpful. not helpful but i mean if that's your gifting in god more power to you one thing i think that you just mentioned which i think i've grasped onto is quite helpful is that what is good so it's not like what are all the things that i need to do because even our culture of expectations these things aren't necessarily biblical. It doesn't say thou shalt bake cookies for your kindergarten teacher. It's more like what would be good if, if for you expressing thankfulness in this way would be good, you know, go for it and, and do it with thankfulness in your heart. If it's not possible for you or, or that's just not what you want to do right now or, you know, you're, you're just in a different place, that's fine too. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, what would be good. Hmm. Speaking of what would be good... Sometimes when I'm looking at Christmas things online, every now and then I see an article or a video of a Christmas party gone wrong. Um, You know, someone's really embarrassed themselves or um, they've had too much to drink or they've made a mistake in public. How should Christians celebrate um, at this time of year when, which is sometimes called the silly season, how should Christians party? Yeah, and it can be really silly. And so if you're someone that you have done silliness and you've done mistakes, and the first word to preach is grace and forgiveness, you know? Like, God forgives you for those things. We don't judge others. And, and, and when people are feeling really low, that's maybe that's a good time to share the gospel. Um, but yeah, in terms of partying, how do we party? Uh, we can be very different, especially with Australia's drinking culture. Uh, I think the Bible is, the Bible doesn't say you can't have alcohol. Like it actually says, you know, God made wine to gladden our hearts. And I I used to be a completely no drunk. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But it does specifically condemn drunkenness. Why? Because it makes you lose your self-control. And that can lead to all sorts of foolishness and sin and viral YouTube videos. Um, But it can lead to hurting others. And so when we're doing all things from love, drunkenness getting to that point of lack of self-control is um is not good that is not good and what the bible does recommend is self-control and sober-mindedness but that doesn't mean that christians are boring so think about it why why do people drink why do people drink around the city season is because they want to feel happy 
or they want to kind of loosen up and kind of share deeply and kind of have this there's this yearning for joy and this yearning for relationships and connecting with others but we have that without being drunk um, we have you know true deep joy like the proper christmas joy we're like when we sing joy to the world we know what that means it's not like check out my wonderful note of how amazing i can sing we're like no this is sins forgiven this is heaven and we have can have true merriment and fellowship in christ like that kind of like chenyu you're stuck with me for all eternity (laughs) praise the lord praise the lord (laughs) and if i offend you or you offend me we really got to work on forgiving one another because we are sisters forever so we, we kind of have this safety of i'm gonna love you i'm gonna always gonna love you and even if i don't love you i need to work on it and you need to work on it if I'm like we that's a you know if you're a non-christian in a company you can't look around your colleagues and say they have to love me and also I know how much they love Jesus and I know that Jesus is telling them to love me like we can have this confidence that is built on Jesus love not having to earn it not having to go look at me I'm doing something cool and crazy look I can do a handstand or I can drink like we don't need to impress each other that way So I think Christians can be really different in kind of having that unconditional love, that vulnerability, that kind of sharing, that taste of deep friendship. In her article, Virginia Trioli writes, we crave so much complete love in our lives, so much perfectly created happiness and fulfillment that this one day of the year, packed as it is with expectation, must of course fail us. Becky, what would you say to Virginia? Virginia? I want to tell you about Jesus (laughs) because she just, she hits the human condition without Jesus. She hits the weary world in sin, waiting, waiting for something to fix or this brokenness, uh, waiting to fix our hearts that, you know, that there's something wrong in the world, something wrong in us, something wrong in the people around us. And that wrongness is sin. That wrongness is that we are not in a relationship with our creator, our maker, the way that we were made to be. And his plan for the world, that we're out of step with that. And, and that is the good news of Christmas is that God has come to fix it. And that complete love is in Jesus and it's not just some emotional love it is a self-sacrificial love that sees him go to the cross for us that dies that um, takes away our sin that that kills all the offenses that stand between us and God and then also as a flow one effect between us and each other so and that is that is complete happiness and that is complete fulfillment. Like I think every other human solution of, we just got to, I don't know, get more money or I just got to be a better person or I just got to communicate better. None of it go to the heart issue of sin of, yeah, you've got a Jesus shaped hole in your life and this world has a Jesus shaped hole and Christmas, he came (laughs) and we as Christians know he's coming back. Um, and he has come and he will come back and he will fix everything. And, but we have the spirit now. And so we're, we're looking forward to that time. 
Um, and so we can have a great Christmas knowing that it's not going to be perfect because we don't expect it to be perfect. We're still battling with sin. We're still wrestling with the sin in our lives. We're still seeing people in our lives uh, living in darkness. And that's why we live as salt and light. It's like Virginia's replaced Christ with Christmas. She's celebrating the, the 25th of December um, and putting all this expectation on that day. But what she's really looking for is is Jesus. Yeah, for Jesus and for heaven. She's going, why isn't this Christmas banquet, why isn't it working? Um, because it's it's the shadow pointing to the heavenly banquet when Jesus comes back to be with his people. Like we are Jesus' people. And so we are like, we, we're missing him. But people don't even know what they're missing. She doesn't even know what she's missing. She needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And yeah, there's this Jesus-shaped hole that Christmas celebrates. He's come. He's coming again. And that's why it's so joyous. Yes. Becky, how do you celebrate Christmas? Um, probably the, the normal ways. We have the runarounds of food and presents. Um Uh, And also Advent. So every year I'm trying to figure out new cool Advent things to teach kids about Jesus. Uh, But the fun thing, I guess, in terms of what's unique to our family is when we, on my mum's side, when we give gifts, we we try and feel it and guess what it is. (laughs) It's pretty funny. And it's like, it's a shirt. (laughs) I think it's blue. (laughs) Yeah, but we're also, it's pretty funny because we're often pretty, reliable at guessing so then we get to the things where we're trying to package it funny and like yeah. just like throw people off so. <laughs> yeah when I was a kid we did that too and egg cartons were hot property during December <laughs> to <laughs> disguise the shape of the gift that you were wrapping oh I thought we were unique <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that so much anymore <laughs> what do you guys do to celebrate Christmas um well we go to church in the morning and oh yeah we do that too sorry church, church is good <laughs> Um, most Christmas days we spend with Dane's family and they do like turkey and ham and Christmas pudding and trifle. And then on boxing days when my family celebrates and we have like mud crab mm-hmm. and chicken curry and rendang. <laughs> <laughs> the best of multicultural city. <laughs> yeah, so Christmas lunches for our two, two sides of the family look very different. If you haven't checked out the Eve Reloaded Facebook group yet, can I encourage you to jump in there because you get perspectives from not just me and Becky, but from a whole bunch of other people who are trying to work out how to live a godly Christian life um, in this time and place in this moment. Um, one of the discussion threads got up to over 70 comments. Mm. It was really interesting. Like there's heaps of good, good views, good thoughts, good advice from different Christian women in there. Even links to other podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) So please come and check us out at Eve Reloaded on Facebook. You can also email us at evereloadedpodcast at gmail.com with any thoughts you have, corrections, uh, different, you know, things we haven't thought of. If you have a view that you would like to share, we would love to hear it. Becky and I are going to be um, interviewed at SweatCon, which is coming up in January. For those that don't know, SweatCon stands for Southwest Equipping and Training Conference, which is just a Bible teaching conference for Christians, specifically in, in the Southwest, for the Southwest, 
by the southwest yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> booyah <laughs> so it's for us i guess if you are in the southwest but um do check out sweat.org.au because registrations are open and don't check it out for just hearing from becky and me but from um heaps of great teaching and training opportunities that will be available Actually, Becky and I are planning to have a tiny break, so there won't be a January episode of Eve Reloaded, but we're going to come roaring back in February with our first ever special guest, which will be very exciting. And just for a little teaser, this is our most requested topic that people have written to us about, doorstopped us, um, grabbed onto us in the street and said, you need to do an episode on... You'll have to find out in February. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I can't wait for that and I hope you'll join us again then. Until then. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> this has been Eve Reloaded Podcast. We'll see you again in 2021. Bye. Bye.